and welcome to Seize the GM. If you're looking to get started GMing, we're here to help. And if you're a GM with a few levels under your experience belt, we are here to help you find your prestige class. Let us take you through some common questions, concerns, and the fun challenges that every GM will face. We have our ideas, our opinions, and some might even say answers that we want to share. So pull up a chair, dust off your dice, and let us help you seize the GM. And welcome back to Seize the GM. If it sounds like we're about to laugh, it's for things that you did not see occur. Or if you did, please stop hacking into our Discord server. Or right. cut it with the Astral P. Enough is enough. <laughs> you know, levitating my spaghetti kind of gets old here. <laughs> I don't want to know. I don't want to know. <laughs> Today, we're going to start a new series here on Seize the GM. We talk around things a lot, and this time we thought we'd go ahead and actually start building a campaign. Uh, the plan is to take several episodes to do this, so three, four, depending on how long we talk, maybe five episodes, and step-by-step step building out a campaign so you can hear how we're thinking about it, and maybe even add your own thoughts when you hear this, say, on our social media, like Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, Discord, Patreon, all of those lovely social media things. <laughs> yes, all of those yes. Promote us, promote us! <laughs> oh yeah, and, co and coffee. We have a coffee. Oh yeah. yeah! I mean, I don't ever go over there, but we do have one. If people want to use it to like, because I know with coffee you can do just like single donation, so you're not having to like, you know, have like a monthly thing that you pay for. You just like do it one out once whenever. Yeah. Eh. If you if you want to. There is literally no pressure on that. Especially with how crazy this year has been. Yeah. Links yeah. to how to find us. Uh coffees are nice, especially if you don't want to do the ongoing but have a couple of extra dollars right then and there. But for now, before you get bored, wander off and stop listening to the entirety of our podcast, we're gonna start talking about building our campaign. So okay. Well, first thing you got to decide, though, is what are you building? Right? Well, there's that. But we also thought that, you know, you have to figure out kind of the the general time frame for your game. Because... Oh, you mean one shot versus long campaign? There's that. There's that. But if you're doing an actual campaign, you're going to go with at least, I would say... A minimum of like five sessions. Because honestly, you could be that tight and keep it down to just five sessions. Or you could go really long term. And I mean, hell, there's some of those early first edition games that have run for 20 years or more. I, th I think a campaign for me really needs to be at least 10 sessions. Because I think it needs at least two acts, two main beats. Now, preferably three acts, and three-act structure is a whole other question. But for me, I think five is a good story arc. But to build a campaign, I want 
at least 10 to really get a little bit more length out of what the characters are going to do. Okay. Mm. I can totally see that. It's weird. Because it also depends on the, the time frame of how long your actual game sessions are. Yeah, because if you're if you're doing like short, like three hour game sessions, you might have to figure out how to, you know, it's like, all right, if this was a normal like eight hours versus a three hour sit down session, that kind of stuff. Yeah. It's, you know. But part of that is knowing your your group. Yeah, because if they can't if they if doing an eight hour thing, you know, and the thing is, like, also depending on the type of game you do or obviously like certain people can sit for hours and hours and hours and hours and hours playing D&D, but you put them in a a 1920s pulp, you know, they, they like it, they're into it, but they can't just lock in for that same amount of time. Yeah. So you also have to be aware. It's like just because just because John can sit for six hours doesn't mean he can sit for six hours in this game unless it's the exact same thing. Yeah. So as always, the communication thing with your players very important. Yes. Exceedingly. <laughs> <laughs> so once you kind of have that figured out, then we we wanted to with kind of a general setting so like is it going to be modern is it going to be fantasy noir fiction Mm -hmm. is it going to be superheroes you know what is the setting overview that we're going to build this in yeah pretty much that's like the big umbrella you know it's like it think about it's like in in you know it's sex God, I don't even know if they still have bookstores. But in bookstores, at least for me, in like the fiction section, they had science fiction, fantasy, detective, noir, horror. So kind of think of it like that. It's like, okay, if you were looking for this in a bookstore, what would it be under? Right. So this one that we're going to build is actually, we, we, we sat down and we decided as the three of us, that we were going to do a science fiction campaign. Now, one thing we did not specifically set on was using a game system. So this is going to be an actual campaign that you can use, but you're going to have to kind of skin it for the game that you want to use. Yeah, and there's... You know, and there's a lot of different systems out there. I know there's uh, there's Fate, which can be kind of there's Fate, there's GURPS, there's uh, D20 Modern. There's a whole bunch of stuff you can use, yeah. Where you can put the setting into it and you know kind of shake it up so everything all fits in nice. And if you'd like us to look at making this into a specific mechanical system once it's all said and done. Tell us on our Discord, or better yet, comment on the Patreon that you have begun following us on, and and maybe throwing a few bones our way, and we'll see about actually statting it up. But, in talking about sci-fi, there's a lot of range in what it can mean. In fact, we've talked about it on previous episodes. But here, 
when kind of debating between space opera and science fiction, we fell more on, on the science fiction side. So a little less pulp, a little you know, less Buck Rogers, and maybe a little bit more uh, Battlestar Galactica reboot kind of side. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's kind of oh, where yeah. we, we ended up landing because we didn't want to be like so far, like we didn't want to be Ringworld. Although Ringworld is cool. Which it, it is, but that is, that's like hard science fiction or like uh, 2001. You yeah, know, it, that is that is super hard science fiction. I mean, there's very little that could potentially be disputed yeah, we, we kind of we kind of went more for, i guess for the isaac asimov arthur c clark kind of idea where things will you know it's like you know what hey if you extrapolate certain things that we know about science today a little bit further you know what hey they kind of make sense and yeah there's going to be some parts that'll be a little bit hand wavy like in star trek like the heisenberg condensators but <laughs> The the idea uh, or subspace, of course, but there's, you know, the idea of, you know, they, they use true scientific principles like a tachyon, which is a theoretical particle currently that goes faster than light. But if that's super advanced science. They found ways to use it, you know, that kind of yeah. stuff. And so with that in mind, you can see that we're going to be looking at, you know, some fun questions and, and with a genre like that. Which is going to have, you know, kind of an FTL component. I, I think I don't think we're going to go with, you know, the complete hardcore real science. You you cannot exceed uh, a, a certain speed because of all of the fun real physics. Yeah, it's it's it, less yeah. encounters with Tiber. If anyone's ever read that, written by Buzz Aldrin, read it. Yeah, it's, yeah I, I think I've recommended in one of our closing comments, mission his mission to Mars book, but. Uh, in a different episode, we'll explore how that kind of FTL component works and, and make sure it like fits with the, the physics of the universe that we're building later. Because yeah. after we talk about this genre, we talk about theme. Uh, what, what are the major themes that we're going to want to build into kind of this campaign or adventure path? What are you know two good underlying conceits? Uh, that we may want to build around as we move forward. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, and the thing is that tying yourself to a theme doesn't mean that you have to always be stuck on that theme. I'm going to tell you because life doesn't work like that. So if sometimes you, you know, you're doing like a, you know, su- something super serious and then all of a sudden your spaceship gets, you know, you get hijacked and you have to watch a clown show, you know, sometimes it, you know, it works in story beats. Yeah. But the cool thing with sci-fi is that in, uh, I don't want to say for, uh, you know, it's for, uh, it's constant throughout almost all of it, but it does lend itself to a couple of themes. Um, and not just always like with FTL, it could be any type of like futuristic sci-fi, like, you know, uh, Earth is, you know, we've terraformed it and now we're super sciencey. That kind of stuff. And there's some good themes for it. And they fit really well into, um, into science fiction settings. Yeah. Uh, biggest yeah. one is, and it lends, especially with sci-fi, is you know with the whole scientific method. 
is the search for truth. And the whole scientific method is like, all right, you get an idea, you test it, you test it, you test it. And once you find something that disproves that theory, disproves, you know, that, uh, that concept, it must be discarded. Yeah. And if you think about it, that is, you know, what, like a, a deeply held belief, you know, it, heck Einstein struggled with this biggest thing was God does not play dice with the universe. The idea of quantum mechanics just angered him. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And it doesn't have to be like truth within science itself, but it could be anything no, for, this, yeah. This is in general, mm-hmm. because that's the thing with themes. Themes are not, well, I mean, you can, you can really like knuckle down into like a very, very specific type of theme that you want to explore. But for this, because we wanted to be able, be able to accommodate more people than fewer, we we want to go with as broad of an interpretation of of these concepts for the themes. Well, and as I also possible. yeah, I also really like tying mm-hmm. some of those themes into what the characters experience, and not necessarily the players. And so, right. like Jules was saying, that search for truth can be about the character and the character's you know, honest place in the universe. I think uh, we've talked a little bit about The Expanse before on, on the show, and I think that that's something that you see in especially early parts of The Expanse is that the search for truth, which manages to both evoke the detective and mystery component, but also the, the role that though that that ship and those characters play in relation to earth and the mars and the belt and so that's where the theme is is useful in kind of shaping what interactions and what kind of story beats that we're going to look at at building out in later episodes will kind of grab onto yeah because that's mm-hmm. how that's how the the characters interact in that world. And, and that's, that is a great way of doing it, but you've also got that search for truth could even be that they are searching for something within themselves, a truth within themselves or they're, or, you know, about how they got to where they are or the other or or heck, you know, sciency like brain. What? Like, uh, thank you, brain. We can remember it for you wholesale. Uh, the Arthur, uh, the, the Philip K. Dick story is like, okay, what's the truth, and what was implanted? I mean, there's what's, a th- what's the truth, like, and what's the real truth? Exactly the the lie within the lie, and the truth within the lie. That kind of stuff. So those are all things that you can do in that one. Just that one theme. I mean, there's tons of adventures just in that. But there's a second theme as well that comes in play. And, oh. and I'm, I'm sometimes mean. I'm, I'm sometimes a, a less than always nice GM. And so you're like us. Yeah. Well, it's <laughs> also more that I'm, you know, we've discussed it before. I am very much about GM agency. Hope doesn't come free. And it's a double-edged sword of a theme. It is that sense of, of loss, and there's a sense of sacrifice. It can go one of two ways. 
there is, you know, the kind of cyberpunk dystopian future to get ahead, you have to lose component. But there's also the heroic sacrifice, epic change the universe route that that can go. And oh, yeah. I think that's a question that can be built up for the players to choose as they work through a campaign and that hope isn't going to come free. There's going to be a cost to get ahead and whether they see it as defeatist or see it as epic sacrifice is something that I think we can build in to make them choose. I think we can let them kind of choose which way this world is kind of going to jump. Oh, sure. And the thing is that everyone's like, oh, you know, hope doesn't come free. It's a Pyrrhic victory. A lot of I've seen and read on certain forums that doing stuff like that is like, oh, it's Pyrrhic. It's not satisfying. I'm like, have you ever watched DS9 all the way through? Benjamin Sisko is like, yeah, lots of sacrifice, but damn satisfying. Well, and part of it is I'm not giving spoilers. When when you are getting into that, the cost of, you know, that hope, how much of a cost is it before you're not okay with paying that? Because there may be, there may come a point where it's just like, I'm not okay with, you know, sacrificing an entire planet. Because that's what needs to be done to bring about this other thing that, you know, people want. And that that hope of an entire civilization lying on your shoulders is like, do I waste an entire planet because that's what they need? Where do I draw that line? Eventually, there comes that point of, is the cost too high? And it's kind of, and, and the interesting thing is how those themes, you can see it, not just, they, they come up a lot in, you know, in, in sci-fi and fantasy and, and all those themes. But the thing is, like, we've seen those kind of things happening in, in real life. It's just like, okay, yeah, we're willing to sacrifice, but the sacrifices start piling up. It's like, okay, when is it's like, you know what, it isn't worth it. But then you have to deal with like, okay, those sacrifices that we made, that what we lost, um, Heck, it, it, uh, the second um, uh, second war of Carthage, I think, is a is a great example. Uh, you know, with Hannibal, it's just like he's like, all right, it's, and he's like, there's a lot. It's like, okay, it's now too much. Yeah. He's like, I'm not going to send my, I'm not going to send those guys out there to die. But he was still ordered to. Yeah. So I yeah. mean. It's eventually though mm-hmm. that and that's why those are so such good that's such a good theme to use because you can just you can just go you can go deep with these and that's what you want. Those overarching themes need to be able to be dived into. Now we chose these two, but we actually came up with a pretty big list of ones and i just wanted to kind of point them out because we all just kind of threw ideas up on a list yeah it's spaghetti at the wall and (laughs) well no what's funny is is if you start looking at them they also seem to follow along similar threads 
when you start really looking at them. Um, so we went with Hope Doesn't Come Free and uh, The Search for Truth. But there was uh, Collective Action and then there was Good Intentions Lead to Bad Results. You and, also had uh, let's say the coming to terms with dark pasts, overcoming. There's also the, and for me, it's like the quest for discovery and, and the nature of beauty, because sometimes you don't have to have the super hardest philosophical topic. It could be just like, wow, what is out there? Let's explore and, and you know, new life, new civilizations kind of a thing. Yeah. yeah. So as you can see, there's a ton and themes are one of those kind of first key things you need to kind of look at because what it's going to do is it's going to help you from here. What we're going to be tackling next is going to be some of the, uh, the setting for these, this campaign, which will include things like setting locales and, and things of that nature that will all kind of be used for either adventures or points of interest, things that the players will be able to interact with. And so some of those locations will be tied into the themes and we'll see how that works with the next part that we're going to do. And it's going to be lots of fun when you come back and listen to episode 117, where we build a campaign part two. But before we completely leave you, we do have a few other components of our podcast that are still gloriously well-received, or at least we think they're gloriously well received. You haven't told us to drop them yet. And so <laughs> it's true. I am taking a pass on stat blocks this week, but I think it is a perfect time for the rest of you to roll right into system neutral pieces that can be worked into an ongoing game or inspiration for your next big game event. I'll go first. The ship's navigator dodged the incoming barrage of railgun fire. All the while, the main navigation system was running the math to make sure they could bring the dark drive up. The toughest part of firing up the dark drive was that they have been known to start and not shut down. The drive only had done it a handful of times since they became standard on ships from the Americas. The German Turk ships used a different sort of drive. The dark drive pulls dark matter from its environment and compresses it into a form that the drive itself can use. While the how might be interesting, the product of that drive is even more interesting. Once the dark drive is on and running, it lets you slip between light and dark matter. What does that mean? It allows you to cover great distances, let's just say. So instead of months like newer engines, you could, you know, make the trip from Earth to Mars in minutes. But how does it work? The inside of the dark drive is sealed away from prying eyes.
Ooh. I I'm sorry. It took me a while. I that that cold chill, and I kind of had to like shake that off before you can kind of like think again. Uh-huh. You monster. Uh-huh. Now I feel cold. Well, we are in the depths of space. <laughs> All right, I guess I'm up. Ahem, ahem. There are no mortal stories about the quietest quartet. Demons and angels bicker about the details, but the consensus is these chthonic instruments manifested during the instant of creation. Four tools to unmake existence. And during the battle between light and darkness, all but one disappeared. And due to their nature, they were hidden from celestial and infernal beings alike. They all fell into humanity's hands eventually. And to this day, they have yet to be united. But the evidence of the individual instruments can be glimpsed throughout history. The drum has the greatest presence. It was played at some of the bloodiest conflicts in history. Antietam, the Qi and Lu War in China, and the Crusades. And though not directly attributed, a liar was responsible for the conflagration that consumed antiquity's greatest city. Legends of a horn that causes rampant destruction to things organic and inorganic have been seen since ancient times. But modern wave technology-based weaponry, both sonic and infrared, draw inspiration from the horn's destructive power. The last remaining instrument is a mystery, and history provides no clues, and the angels and demons aren't forthcoming with information, only warnings. For if the instruments were brought together and played, Reality would be unmade. Return to the nothingness from whence it spawned. Cool. I like it. Thank you. Fun. <laughs> well, and and since Cardamanger is out this this week, we'll, uh, we'll sorry, to... I'm so used to having the three, so it's just kind of like, okay, oh wait a minute. <laughs> Yep. Yeah, I, I know, okay. I know, I know. It's, everybody gets a week off once in a while. Oh, heck yeah. No, it's not, it's, no, like you are well-deserved within that too. Yep. So. Um, Teach us something, as, professor. As we've always, well, no, as we've always said, there are how you could use this in your games for both of the step blocks we've done. So they're not long. They're usually only a couple of sentences, but it gives you kind of, ideas so let's go ahead and flip on into our next section an uncommon word that helps improve your descriptions with a bit of information about those words as well okay this is going to be utopia fake land (laughs) Fake land, yeah. fake land, fake island. Well, there's, yes. He is technically correct. Like he is technically correct. The best, the kind, best kind of correct. Of correct. Kind of correct. I had to do that. <laughs> yes. So, the definition of utopia. There's actually three definitions. Uh, the first one, often capitalized, a place of ideal perfection especially in laws, government, and social conditions. 
Uh, two is an impractical scheme for social improvement. And three is an imaginary and indefinitely remote place. Now, the first known use of Utopia is 1533. And the history and etymology is Utopia is imaginary. 1533? And, yeah. That's the first known use of it. Now, it was, it was talked about before that. Specifically in 1516 by Sir Thomas More. Yeah, which would be the book that I mm-hmm. was thinking of. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it wasn't, it wasn't uh, as an imaginary or indefinitely remote place. That didn't come about until 1533. And that is when it became the Coca-Cola of <laughs> imaginary places. Yeah. Now, it is from Greek. Uh... Uh, art, which is uh, not and tapos, tapos, which is place, not here, no place. So the look of popularity, because I've, uh, I don't think I've ever actually had one that th- was this high before. It is the top one percent of words. You think? Yeah. <laughs> I've never had one that was that commonly looked up before. Yeah. So, but well, hopefully, you, hopefully you learn something. Yeah, I was gonna say it, it, it also kind of fits with the science fictiony themes that we were going with. So, but yeah. I think we're gonna go ahead and and hit our closing remarks. And then get out of here. Give you guys some stuff to think about. Well, I am going to go ahead and recommend, if you have not already been watching, to watch WandaVision. That is the MCU miniseries that is currently streaming at the time we're recording this on uh, Disney+, Plus, which is you know the home of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. It is... A nine-episode limited series, short episodes, but it's a masterclass in the use of nostalgia, in technical production, and and in trusting an audience to accept more fantastical beats in an expansive universe. It not only emulates uh, certain nostalgic sitcoms, but uses that to great effect and, and uses it in a way that is revealing uh, about the larger Marvel Cinematic Universe. And I I think it is an absolute joy and a a great chance to see Paul Bettany and Ms. Olsen get to act a little more than uh, they would have gotten on screen in larger movies. So uh, watch it. Watch it. Trust it. Preferably watch it and give yourself time between episodes. And if you can avoid spoilers, avoid them because it's a fun mystery. It and is. here's here's the here's the thing. Uh, from what I understand, I, I'm waiting uh, to watch myself. But for those that were fans of the old sitcoms, like old and new, there's Easter eggs in there. And if you can kind of like, oh, <gasps> I know that it, it's really kind of a, you know, kind of happy wiggle kind of a thing that you get when you do that. It's true. I'm sorry. Anytime I see Easter eggs and I'm like, oh, I, 
you know, that's, but that's just me. Yep. <laughs> yeah. It's a lot of fun. I have actually been keeping up on that one for a change. Well, it's also, it's also something fun for you. So, you know, fun yeah. for the whole family. Yeah. So what, what have you we- got? Uh, don't laugh. I know. Um, uh, yeah, you do laugh, but here, here's the thing that I'm not recommending like a specific series or something. What I want to do is uh, we picked up Paper Mario and the Origami King. So I actually decided to give myself a trying at Origami. Hmm. And because I thought the, the character designs and that were really cute and I want to like, okay, Okay, let's see if these, you know, if these were just, you know, created and makeable with, uh, you know, just because that's the art style or can you actually fold things like this? So, you know, I started looking it up. So my recommendation is if something in, you know, one other piece of entertainment kind of encourages you it to look to try something out or, you know, it's like so I'm like, hey, I've always seen Oregon, but I've never, you know, tried it. I decided to bite the bullet and give it a whirl. I'm terrible. I rip everything. But I'm enjoying it because it's like, like, all right, that's really neat. So here's what I, my thing for you is this. If something in what you like, kind of like some of the crafts you might see in D&D, you know, especially some of the meals, and there are cookbooks out there and YouTube videos of like Dungeons and Dragons meals, and there's, you know, Stargate and, and, Star Trek inspired food, you know, give something from that you like a try. It's also would be really neat. You know, it's like have friends over for a Star Trek binge party and, you know, you brew the perfect uh, cup of Earl Grey tea. So find something that ties into something that you love and give it a whirl. See if you can do it. That's fun. Yeah, I got more paper cuts than I wanted to and I kept tearing the paper, but... Uh, I look at the other one, I'm like, all right, screw this, tie it up. It's like, confetti! Because you have that a lot also in Mario. So I'm, I'm thinking it's just like, okay. that Because that's how you repair stuff and the thing. is like, all right, confetti. Yeah. So if anybody has followed our Instagram recently, they will know that there is, that. that's funny that you would mention that there are cookbooks because there's pictures of something that I just recently acquired and have been... We've made probably three meals out of it. And that's the um, the Heroes Feast, which is the D&D cookbook. And it is amazing. Amazing. Just, just letting you know. <laughs> so. All right. Then, Zen, what do you have? Right. Bring us home. Equinox. Now, this is a series that's on... Netflix. And it's actually really, really interesting because you can use it to draw inspiration for either a like kidnapping or an alien abduction. So anything along those kind of lines, you can really use it. Now, the thing is, is that it's Dutch and they have a much different sensibility about things than Americans do. So that's also a reason to check it out because we kind of sit in this bubble of TV where everything is catered to 
American sensibilities. But there are so many other great things that don't tie into that. And you should immerse yourself in some of these other TV shows from other countries because you will gain kind of a, a glimpse because it, it's not, you know, you're only seeing a series or maybe a movie, but you don't get the, you're getting a, a glimpse into the sensibility and the culture that created it. And for that reason alone, you should watch more things than just American sitcom TV. Because while those are fine, and you can draw a lot of good things out of them, there are things from a lot of other... I mean, there's many, many more countries that are also creating things. And so you should check them out because it might give you an idea for something that you had never thought of before. So that's just my soapbox speech. <laughs> on. But yeah. So I guess that is going to wrap us up folks. So it has been fun and we will see you in two weeks. Or whenever yeah. you choose to download episode 117. That's true. We will have it ready in two weeks from when you get this one. If you listen to it right away. Eli's if not, you never know mm -hmm. when you'll listen to it. But there will be another one after this. I promise that. And one after that. And the yeah. next. And the and next. <laughs> following. But yeah. So have fun, folks. Get out there. Well, don't get out there. Sit behind your desk, get on a computer, and play some games. Be safe. And roll some dice. Indeed. Thanks for checking in. It was a blast sharing our thoughts and ideas on our time. We hope that you had a great time with us and could hardly wait to share the next show. In the meantime, let us know how you handle this topic in your own games. You can find us on most social media platforms, especially Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And if you want to follow us, search for Seize the GM. And if you just want to follow one of us, search for our names on the social media platform of your choice, or go to SeizeTheGM.com for convenient links. Seize the GM is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Sharealike 4.0 International License. All copyrighted material referenced herein are held by the respective owners. No infringement intended and no claim of ownership is Once again, thanks to you, our listeners. We hope you gained some ideas for your ongoing games. Or the inspiration to run your first. Now get out there and play some games. Roll some dice. Be safe, and you'll hear from us again soon.